Hey everybody, on this week's episode we're discussing Everything Everywhere All at Once, a uh, movie released this year in 2022. We do recommend watching the movie, it makes the conversation probably a lot more interesting to listen to. So Mike, what is Everything Everywhere All at Once about? Well John, for the first time in the cinematic history of Spider-Man, our friendly neighborhood hero's identity is revealed, bringing his superhero responsibilities into conflict with his normal life and putting those cares more at risk than ever. When he enlists Doctor Strange's help to restore his secret, the spell tears a hole in their world, releasing the most powerful villains who've ever fought a Spider-Man in any universe. Now Peter will have to overcome his greatest challenge yet, which will not only forever alter his own future, but the future of the multiverse and every Spider-Man past and present within it. Huh. <laughs> I don't just just uh, just to jump ahead to at least one thing. You, your joke is better than you think because the directors saw uh, into the Spider Verse and uh, and they said they were like so mad because they'd already been working on this movie for years and were like we just got scooped. Someone stole all of our ideas and nothing we do will make sense now. To it's be, good to know you're playing into their primal fears. To be even more fair, that was the uh, summary of No Way Home, John, not Into the Spider-Verse. But it's okay. Oh you're God. a buffoon who doesn't know movies. I can't. And on, 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 you know what? On that note, uh, welcome to this film could be your life. What a great, what a great beginning to season three. <laughs> it's just a great start. Welcome once again to season three Woo! of This Film Could Be Your Life. My name is Jonathan Devine, joined as always by Mike Overstreet. Hello. Mike, what's been going on in your life? We, you know, we don't check it a lot. How are you doing okay? Yeah, I mean, we fell on tough times because, you know, Ricky and I started a laundromat. Um, we had a, a mm. child, another child who we kind of resent, but it's mostly because of our generational trauma. And generally, yeah. our business is going under, and now she's a lesbian. So we're just wrestling with a lot. But other than that, not much. I appreciate that you you've done a second joke intro. Now we have <laughs> we have multiple layers happening at once, which is actually quite fitting. Um, as we already mentioned, and I'm sure you guys picked up on, we are discussing everything, everywhere, all at once. What a mouthful! My Woo. God, like how are we going to get through this episode? Um, a 2022 American, uh, at least in Wikipedia's opinion, absurdist comedy drama film. <laughs> okay. That seems accurate. Checks out. Uh, written and directed by Daniels, a.k.a. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart, uh, who produced it with the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe Russo, which I didn't actually know. Uh, I'm just going to go through the synopsis here. The plot centers on a Chinese-American immigrant played by Michelle Yeoh, who, while being audited by the IRS, discovers that she must connect with parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being from destroying the multiverse, Stephanie Zhu, Kei Kwan, Jenny Slate, Harry Shum Jr., James Hong, and Jamie Lee Curtis appear in supporting roles. Um, this movie came out this year, and I think it's, you know, we did this with Dune last year. I think we like starting off with something contemporary, something that hit us. Uh, we start the episode generally by talking about our history with this movie. 
Uh, Mike, how many, is this the second time you've seen it? Was it the theater and then here? It's been years, John, Okay. since I last saw this film. No, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw this movie, I've seen this movie actually three times now, four maybe. I've actually seen it a lot considering it's been 12 months. Um, sure. And, and it's interesting because I kind of wasn't all that interested in it when I saw the trailer. It was definitely mm-hmm. a movie that came out and just got like a steady increase in buzz, um, especially yeah. amongst people who I respect in terms of movies. And I went and saw it. And I'm not going to lie for the first about hour of it. I was like, I don't I don't get it. I don't get what the fuss is about. This is just <laughs> kind of like a a, a wire foo, you know, kung fu movie with like some Marvel antics mixed in in terms of universe jumping. And then about. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's probably whatever Jobu actually shows up. Um, Jobu yeah. Tabaki. I was just like, oh, oh, yes, I see. Yes, I get it now. <laughs> And um, it blew my mind. And I've I've cried every time I've seen this movie. I've last, laughed hysterically every time I've seen this movie. I had such a emotional response to this movie that I immediately went home, got it on VOD. I was like, Ricky, you have to watch this. We watched it again, and I watched it for this pod. So I've actually seen it a number of times. But it definitely was one of those movies that, especially the last hour, um, has led me to return to it quite a lot in terms of like one yeah. get, getting excited and wanting to share it with people. So, so yeah, I love this movie. That's my history. I saw it two times in the theater for that same reason. I saw it once. Uh, it, you and I actually had a very similar experience where the first hour, I was a little bit like, okay, I don't get it yet. Um, for me, and, and we're obviously going to talk about this more later, but the entire kind of moment that, that uh, Wayman comes into the, into the spotlight, which is about halfway through, maybe a little over halfway, suddenly the entire movie opened up to me and and actually pretty much instantly shot into one of my favorite viewing experiences I've ever had. Yeah. Um, And it was so good that I immediately left and, and tried to get all my friends to go watch it immediately, which is, I think I went back to the theater two more times and then saw it again for this, which makes it my fourth rewatch, which I'm, I'm self-conscious of that, that I sound very fan, like kind of a fad boy with that. Um, no, I don't yeah. know what to tell you. It's a great movie. Like well, it's, it's, it was just, it's extremely enjoyable. It has a message that I at least very much resonate with, which I'm sure we'll talk about, talk about more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think be, beyond the ideas in the film, which I think we'll talk about more than, than this bit I'm about to say, what, what I think is awesome about this film. And, and I think the most recent experience I've had with this is a very different movie is, is, the absolutely depraved barbarian which also came out this year but it it has a point in the movie and for me and everywhere everything every all at once always ever forever whatever this movie is called for me in this movie (laughs) nailed it um it's the rock universe where it takes you to such a hard turn that you eventually at some everyone has a point in this movie where they just have to let go of expectations and just go with the ride right and I think yeah. that's very hard for films to like truly pull you out of your head. And you're like, Hey, you're not going to predict where this is going. Uh, so just like surrender to it and enjoy the experience. This movie is one of those like five movies I can think of that did that. And like I said, barbarians, another movie recently for very different reasons that had that experience. But I think that's a, that's a high, high element of praise for this movie is that there is yeah. just, everyone has a part of this movie where they're just like, okay, I'm done trying to guess what this is about. And I'm just going to like 
experience it, which in a very real way is it living out its message. But that's a whole nother conversation that we'll get into. That we will have in just a few minutes. Uh, I am curious if you have any experience with the directors who actually I, I thought had done a lot of collaboration, but really only have two other projects. Uh, the Turn Down for What music video, which, oh, you know, is one very, of your favorites from way very back. Very familiar. Turn Down for yeah, What? That, anyway. I there you go. I can't You've had do that, that on. Can't do that. <laughs> You've had that on, on just repeat playing in your house I, since I would 2013. Like, I would like to apologize to all people of color for that outburst. <laughs> okay. I apologize. <laughs> Uh, and then Swiss Army Man, which I actually never saw, but I wanted to, and I feel bad that I have it even for this podcast. I know Paul Dano's you, you your boy. That? No, I didn't. Paul Dano's my boy. Yeah, never. Um, Daniel Radcliffe's kind of my boy too. They actually, uh, not to jump ahead too much, they offered him a part in this movie. I am curious what the part was, or if it was a rewrite or something. I'm guessing Michelle Yao's role. Pr- probably, probably the main character started as a white male instead of a. <laughs> Chinese female. That makes a lot of sense. Chinese superstar. Um, Yeah, totally. (laughs) Very different direction they were going. Uh, I did have the fantastic quote. Data Radcliffe couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts, but he said that the the Daniels are one of the only directors that he would always say that he would always be inclined to say yes to one of their projects without reading a script. Yeah. That he's like, I I probably have jumped on board. So I get it. I'm I'm. I don't know if we'll have a space to talk about this later, but I am kind of curious your thoughts. How interested are you in whatever their next project is going to be? Because in a weird way, I feel like, so, oh, sorry, I guess one last piece that we should follow up. This movie uh, had an immense response. It's It made over $103 million, by far the highest grossing A24 movie ever, beating out Hereditary. Yeah. Also their only movie to, to gross more than $100 million. Um, um, immense critical response, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which of course doesn't matter, but whatever. Um, just a huge, and a huge word of mouth, which is really what pushed over the edge. Um, all of that made me really fascinated. Like I was saying, kind of where they can go, because I almost feel like the, this movie just can't really be top. Like you cannot possibly continue the style or the theme or the themes of this movie. You just have to left turn no matter what it is. It's going to be a left turn. I'm fascinated. I'm excited, but yeah, I, I don't know. It'll I think, be interesting. I think the only thing I would say to that, and, and again, I have not seen Swiss Army Man, but everyone I know who's seen that says this is a pretty dramatic left turn from like thematic resonance and really the style of the movie. So, and all of them are very excited for the next movie because I think what I hear over and over again is that these people do something daring with the two movies they've made. Like each time they've just done something very unexpected and very interesting and very different. And I think I would put a lot of stock in that more so than into like, you know, I think when you get bit in the butt by these hot flash of the pan directors, it's more like Guy Ritchie where you're like, Hey, sure. This guy made two really good movies that when you think about it are pretty much the same movie. And of course in hindsight, you're like, Oh, that's because that's all you can make. From what I understand, these the Daniels have already shown that they are doing very different things each time they take on a project. So I'm at least curious in what they do next. I do think you're Guy, right that this hit such a high that that does make me a little dubious. Um, yeah, I'm nervous for them. Yeah, it, yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating. Also, Guy Ritchie just catches strays, Mike. What? Are we, geez. If it's not our podcast, so we're not taking pot shots of Guy Ritchie, John. It's brutal. Uh any other comments on the movie as a whole? I mean, it's, it's you know, often in this part, 
it's a movie that's old that we have all this other context for. This movie came out a few months ago, so you know uh, we maybe just need to go go right into it. Yeah, unless you had anything. I think the only other thing that is really interesting is if this movie does well at the Oscars. Um, yeah, and which is coming up in. Uh, are the nominations out yet? Or no, no, not yet. Not? Okay, so it's in like the beginning of award season, so the races are starting and all that. I think it's very. It's it's def- definitely going to get nominated for best picture. It will be super interesting if, as people pre- are predicting right now, if Michelle Yao gets nominated and actually becomes a potential front runner for an actress yeah. award, uh, because this movie would be uh, uh, groundbreaking if it was recognized at the Oscars. This is not the kind of movie that the Oscars has ever actually given attention to. So I just think it's it's I an think- interesting movie to watch. It's going to be uh, Kate Blanchett and Tar that's going to be the big yeah. Uh, yeah. counter. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And you're right. It's even just watching the movie, uh, you know, I, I, I remember thinking to myself, and this is super unfair because he's not alive to defend whether or not. I, I could be super wrong on this, but I can't help but remember Roger Ebert's incredibly negative review of Scott Pilgrim as kind of like a, a turning point of like, oh, this is media made for people under a certain age. Yeah, he actually says this in his review. He says, I might be too old to get to this, to, to understand this movie to which all of us reading the review said, yes, you are like, just that, that is the problem. And I almost do wonder, like I, I, I struggle to decide whether or not like this movie also has some sort of generational mark in it. Yeah. That under a certain age or over a certain age, I should say, does it just not make sense? Is it just too, and even thematically are the themes it's talking about, especially with, we're going to get into this, but the idea of nihilism in the face of, you know, I guess, contemporary society, does that even necessarily land in the same way? That's going to be the fascinating thing to see from my perspective. Yeah. Um, But I also am like, you know, I, I take a hands-off approach in terms of like, uh, the Oscars haven't recognized a lot of movies that I love. Yeah, so. they're dumb. So I, I, don't get me wrong. Oh, okay. I just think it's it's an interesting litmus test for where we are with film criticism on a public sphere, it, it, but also taste. I think you're totally right. And besides, it is worth noting this is all academic. Uh, let me just check on this real quick. Avatar 2 releases in four days, and despite oh, being outside the eligibility window... I'm just expecting that it's going to be such a monumental sort of thing. <laughs> They're going to change the guidelines and just it'll, it's just going to sweep everything. Um, oh my lord! Do you, Mike? Do you have your do you have your midnight tickets yet? I, I I just wanted to check on that. Like it's this is the biggest event of the year, Mike. Do you nope. want to get into the movie? Do nope. you want to? No comment. You, <laughs> we just. <laughs> the silence speaks volumes, but that's okay. Uh, let's get into it. So we divide uh, this podcast into a few different sections. We'll start by talking about why this movie works, then maybe have some things of why it doesn't work, what holds it back. Uh, later on, we'll have stray thoughts and then maybe dive into the uh, dialogue about some of the spirituality of the movie much later on. Um, this is kind of one of those movies, though, where I'm a little nervous this is going to be very front loaded. I do have some things later on for maybe what holds it back. But we're going to start with why this movie works. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about here. There's there's a lot of things uh, that are going for this movie. You already mentioned Michelle Yeoh. So if it's okay, I do want to start with the cast. Let's go. So this is a pretty tight cast. Um, You know, there's actually a lot of kind of budget saving things in this movie. And one of them is 
and, and it works for the premise but if you start noticing they reuse a lot of their actors oh um, all of them all of them. In particular, I really love that. And this one's kind of subtle, which is surprising because she's a big name. But Jamie Lee Curtis uh, is also of one of the she's doing a lot of work. She's one of the worshipers in the bagel temple. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, pretty. But that one's pretty subtle. It's in the background. But Same at any rate, tight the, cast. Uh, the girl from Parks and Rec, she plays a spoiled rich kid in Park and Rec. And she is the one yeah. with the dog on the leash that she's a nunchuck. Um, and she appears in like four scenes as different kind yeah. of worshippers. Yeah. I, I get the impression that uh, they they really went ham on that. And the funny thing is, like I said, they, they, it's obvious, but they also don't call attention to it. Yeah. And it fits the premise, but it they're playing it. They're playing it really smart. At any rate, um, the whole cast is incredible. I guess starting with Michelle Yeoh, who you're right. Like, like the reason I think why there is a lot of buzz is partially because it there's a certain travesty to the idea that she's not been super high recognized before this point. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's where a lot of this buzz is coming from. Excuse me. But, uh, but this is an amazing movie or sorry, this is an amazing role for her. It does kind of play. There's a certain intertextuality. Obviously this whole movie has a certain intertextuality, but uh, one of the alternate universes obviously plays heavily into the idea of kind of, you know, her own stardom in this world and what that means. Um, but yeah, going all the way back to crouching tiger, um, which is, I think what where I first saw her probably. Oh, uh, imagine, oh no. Yeah. She was in Tomorrow Never Dies. That's a horribly written part. A horribly written part in a pretty subpar James Bond movie. But she plays she plays the hell out of it. So, you know, props to her. She was in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. All right, sorry, now I'm just on a Ryan. Pretty TV. much Yeah, everyone who's been in a high profile uh Kung Fu movie was in that movie. So yes. <laughs> right. Fair fair enough, I guess. Um, but has had a long career and despite obviously having a lot of things centered in this Kung Fu world, I think has also always been noted for her acting versatility. She actually, I mean, it's incredible. Some of the things that she pulls out in this movie and how much this movie rests on her. I want to say she's in every scene. If not like, you know, it's maybe four scenes or, or, you know, that she's doesn't play a significant part in and kills it the whole time and is doing yeah. incredible work in terms of one of the strangest roles i can imagine having to do i was kind of just sitting there trying to think about how the script is even laid out and like if i was a director trying to communicate to this person like this is what part of the story you're in your character <laughs> just died and now you're in a movie theater uh but you're kind of the same character consciousness but also kind of not and I, I wouldn't even understand how to communicate it, much less how to do it, how to act it. And she's always there and kind of anchors the movie. Like if that one role doesn't work, it sounds obvious, but the whole movie totally falls apart for Absolutely. everything it has yeah. going for it. Yeah. Um, anything on, do you have anything on her? Not just, uh, we don't see like actresses like her often get an opportunity to do like a very layered role in this where she's doing the physical work and the, the action sequences that she's obviously known for, but she's also allowed to do some pretty, pretty heart wrenching dramatic elements, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then she's also mm. able to do like dry humor and, you know, I people, lots of comedic timing. In this. Yeah. And, and yeah. you can get to the, 
the whiteness of Hollywood to ageism all the way down, it's just very rare that you're going to see a Michelle Yeoh at this point of her career get an opportunity to play a character that that's layered and that is this interesting. And you get to show off in the way that she does across these multiple different genres. So it's just a treat. And and I would just ditto that she she's the the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, without her, this thing does not work. So what yeah. I, I would echo that to the strongest degree. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'll just kind of keep going down the actors. And uh, Stephanie Zhu plays uh, Jobu Tupaki. What's her actual, <laughs> what's the character's name again? Jo- Joy Wei. <laughs> Joy Wei, thank you. Yeah. And um, I honestly, and you know, I was about to say I'd never seen her in anything. And checking her IMDb that I have up, I know why. She wasn't actually in very much before this movie. Um, some Broadway runs of some movies, some stuff like that. Uh, but to me, in a sense, if, if you could call anyone the breakout star in terms yeah. of I didn't know them too well before, it, it's her. She's she's incredible in this movie. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts? I don't want to keep hogging the whole conversation. So what do you got? Yeah, I think, I mean, this may be a hot take, but I think quietly this is the best performance in the movie. Um, it's certainly the most interesting. And I guess when I say best, I don't mean that in terms of like classical acting, because I think that would not be the case. But I definitely mean in terms of, um, man, the spectacle of it and and the willingness and the <laughs> the audacity of this performance is what I'm going to yeah. remember from it, you know, five years from now. Um, she does a lot just as the daughter. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about like generational trauma later. But, you know, the facial acting she's doing when uh, Michelle Young's character says the thing where it's like, this is her friend. And you're just like the devastation that she mm. conveys purely on her face. She has that dramatic bent to her. But then she also does so freaking much as the big bad of this movie, which is an entirely different part. And I want to just yeah. like... I just want to like, I want to cook for a second because I think what she does with Jobu Tapaki is probably my favorite villain of any movie recently. I think it's just one of the most fascinating characters uh, in terms of a, uh, of uh, a villain to oppose and them not just being evil, but actually being something of depth and, and, and real nuance that I, I think it, the character is an achievement and that's a big yeah. part of her. Like when her, when she first shows up, it's so dark and it's so wild and she ends up, you know, it ends with her killing Evelyn. But then when she arrives in Evelyn's universe, that sequence is stunning. And it's stunning in a lot yeah. of ways because of like the film editing, which I'm sure we'll get to also. But even more than that, it's what Stephanie is doing in this role. Like as she enters smoking the cigarette, walking the pig, <laughs> and she delivers that line. I, I'm, trying, I'm gonna quote it. Is it that I can't? be here or that i'm not allowed <sighs> to be here hey okay Hands See, i can physically be here but what you meant to say is you're not allowing me to be here <laughs> which he puts out the cigarette on yep. his on his uh yeah and then cops start dying and it's one of the greatest villain intros probably of any movie ever but it's also such a charismatic moment from this character who up until this point because of her performance has been very much a shelled character someone who is defensive someone who is 
choosing to be quiet because she has been wounded by her mother so many times. She doesn't feel like she has a voice. And then for her to arrive with this complete 180 as this cosmic demon of sorts, mm. it's just, yeah, it's just an awesome performance that brings a a a character to life that I will not soon forget. So, and, yeah. And even within that, like, the, the, the then third turn that she's not really a villain. Yeah. She's trying, she's just a person trying to make sense of her own life and and the, the masterfulness with which that's carried. I, I want to echo your sentiment too, that this to pull off this role requires quite a bit of charisma, Oh, um, yeah. which is, which is often listed as the thing that is most, that, that experience most benefits. Like it's very rare to find an actor without a lot of experience necessarily in these kinds of roles or in this kind of medium just kind of go for it and and it works weirdly because we were just talking about Swiss army man. I often think about Paul Dano in um, there will be blood, right? Yeah. Total absolutely. unknown. And he, he anchors the movie to a large degree. Um, but yeah, I think she's exceptional here. And it's, it's, it's incredible. I actually want to this. I had this as trivia for later, but I just want to mention one cool thing that I think you'd appreciate. Um, do you remember the scene at the beginning of the second act where, um, Evelyn and her daughter uh, are in their living room and her and you know Joy Jobu Debaki is asking her she's like come on sit down make yourself comfortable on the couch mm-hmm. right Great. she has this really fascinating like faux casual speaking style uh-huh. which I later learned was directly inspired by John McClane and Die Hard oh I love which, that the way it doesn't that make so much sense yeah. though the way he says like come out to the coast have a few like she's a little bit sing-songy a little bit it's once you know that it's hard not to hear it that's but it's great. so perfect and that it's so great. well done for yeah. a villain i love that yeah exactly yeah and, um and i also just real yeah. quick uh it's a small moment but when <laughs> when they jump to the world where uh you know michelle yao's character is gonna have the meltdown essentially and finally like break and she does the thing where she tells her girlfriend to go get a drink or whatever, or go help with yeah. the decorations. And what, like, but her face goes to the Tobu face, but then she still talks in like the joy voice. Yeah. Such a yeah, cool yeah. little boat. And her does the held, head tilt, the whole thing. It's just like a great little small thing in terms of bringing a character to life. So anyways, I could talk about the nuances that she brings to it all day. Um, that diehard thing. I'm going to rewatch the movie right now to look yeah. for that diehard it's, it's thing. It's honestly worth it. When, when, I, when I read that, I was like, you could really see that, at least in that one scene. Um, let's. So we have four actors we wanted to talk about. Ke-Hui uh, Kwan, and I, I apologize if I'm pronouncing it wrong, but um, is Waymond in this movie. Waymond Wang. And uh, this is one of those ones where I had to watch the movie a couple times to decide... If I was in love with the performance or, or in love with the character. <laughs> yeah. And I eventually decided I was in love with both. I think that he is playing it perfectly. And it is it is actually by a substantial margin my favorite character in yeah. uh, cer- almost certainly any action movie I've ever seen. And probably any movie in the last 10 or 15 years. I think this is one of the most interesting characters ever. But to quickly talk about the actor... Um, for people who don't know, this he actually was a child actor, and he played most famously Short Round in Indiana Jones at the Temple of Doom, which we covered on this show, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. and Data in the Goodies. Uh, what I didn't know, Mike, and, and I'm not sure if you knew, 
is that he actually stopped acting because of a lack of opportunity for yeah. Asian American actors yep. in the late nineties. And he became a stunt coordinator and assistant director. So in the industry, he just didn't act. And this movie was actually his return to the entire field. Like this was the first time he'd acted since, since the nineties. Yeah. Um, so there's a certain, you know, certain shout and fraud with that too. a certain, um, or not shout and fraud. It's the wrong word, but a certain joy out of seeing that, that you get just knowing that, um, we're getting back this amazing, amazing talent. Um, it's also really cool because apparently he did do quite a lot of his own stunts on this movie. Apparently, most of the fight scene with the fanny pack, which is also a nod to the so goodies. Good. Uh, I know all of that stuff w- was him, but all of that is anecdotal to what I think is the, the most important thing, which is that this is a character who is landing this idea of um, empathy as a weapon and of caring as the more important thing than fighting i'm I'm just gonna go into this character a little bit if that's okay mike because i'm too i'm too excited to talk about it basically you know there's a quote and we'll talk about this more over time too but they have a quote where they said uh sorry the daniels have a quote where they describe this as an action movie about empathy right and i think one of the clearest examples of that is this character there's this whole moment in the movie where Basically, he reforms um, his wife, Evelyn, who is in the middle of of this existential dread about the futility of life and the futility of trying to fight back and of all these different things. And he has this kind of line where he says something to the effect of, you know, I'm a fighter in my own way. Right. And this idea that this character who is who is we see throughout the movie is kind and caring and silly and playful. And for the first half of the movie, you watch thinking, oh, well, he's just kind of the buffoon cast off to this like badass protagonist Kung Fu action hero star. And I think that was also for what it's worth. Also the turn of the movie for me that I thought, well, okay, this is just another basically superhero movie where, you know, ultimately the person the strongest person is the person in the center of the frame who's punching people in order to, to make a statement in order to exert her will in the world. Um, and the whole movie basically in one moment about halfway through says, no, 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 no. The most important, powerful character is this quiet, kind, shy person off to the side. And we're going to talk about that more later. Cause we're t- going to talk about the pathos of the movie, the empathy of the movie, but just to say I could write 3000 words on this one character. Yeah. If we were still doing the essays, which we're not. I think that it's so important to have this character and it's so important to start this idea in, in culture and in movies and even in action movies of what is it to be a good and most importantly, a, a powerful person, someone who exerts influence. And like they say, who fights, he has this line at one point where he says, just be kind, especially when you don't know what's going on. Um, I have a question for you later about whether or not this movie is preachy at moments. But regardless of that, I think that line and that sentiment, I don't know. Uh, that just hits me extremely deeply. It is something that is, you know, is rapidly evaporating from culture. And I was just so overwhelmed to see it represented so well in this movie. We're talking about the actor's. Kehoi Kwan, excuse me, does that perfectly. He lands those sentiments. He even lands, this is now a small thing, um, but the way that 
when when the alternate universe where she's a movie star, he looks so much more movie star e with like literally just a hair change. And I guess maybe I should be giving props to the costume department, but even something like that strikes me as really funny, just like or, or really well executed, I should say, um, on his part. So I, I could say a thousand things about him. Do you have anything else on on the character or the actor? No, I mean I think you're right. I think it's it's just an expertly cast and an acted role in terms of like, um, I mean you're kind of you're kind of with Evelyn for the majority of this movie. We're like this dude is annoying, um, mm. and and even like you're kind of like this guy's kind of weak. Um, if you're being honest, I think with yourself. And well, I think new- they want you to think. No, that. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm saying I'm agreeing with you. Yes, that is how it's designed, yeah. and for it to come around so so strongly by the end where you're like oh no this is the like you're saying this is the strongest person in the film this is actually the only person who in the face of oblivion maintains integrity and has a a helpful response to this and in fact every other character is just echoing that internal um rejection that was going on in your mind and it's actually that internal rejection that's wrong with our world not this character yeah and i think that's just like a gut punch of all gut punches i think it's incredibly clever i think it's it's yeah, it, it, it is what makes me think of this movie. Like, I'm most interested mm. in Jobu Tapaki. I am most moved by Wayman Wong because he's the yeah. one who makes me reflect on how I respond to. And I think the part of that quote that you left off is actually, I think, the most important where he says, I know we're all afraid. And he's just like, yeah. and we don't know what's going on. And it's like, hey, how do you respond to fear and confusion? And is the response that Wayman has um actually that week and wouldn't our world be better if we did that more often I, I yeah so i'm not, i'm gonna start getting preachy by the way that is definitely a sermon that he gives in that scene <laughs> so yes this movie yeah. gets preachy yeah, sometime yeah. but the it's powerful does, yeah it's powerful it's absolutely powerful and it lands and like i said i i think you know i have not i have not made too secret i don't know necessarily if it's come up on this podcast but i've not made too secret my hesitations with portrayal of, of violence in yeah in in culture today where again it's not violence itself that i have an issue with in film but it's the fact that you know the the most important character or the most good character is always the one who solves their problems by punching people and or shooting them depending on the movie and it's so important to me to have this character doing the opposite one really cool thing i like too is when you rewatch the movie and you pay attention he's actually netting them wins the entire movie by virtue of his kindness like it's a throwaway joke but the fact that at the beginning jamie lee curtis's character which i think we're going to talk about next but uh when she gives them the extension on the tax things at the beginning of the movie she actually calls out thank you for the cookies they're delicious which again is a joke but is also part of the point of the character that all these again in our minds dumb little things he's doing are meaningful to people and and actually what i think is the real turn of the movie because when evelyn's in her deepest funk and she's trashed the laundromat and is in the middle of skipping universes and whatever uh there's this moment where suddenly uh the irs agent says let her go and she's like what and and she's like and her husband is like oh i i just talked to her it's okay she gave us another week and Again, suddenly you realize this quiet force, this quiet presence has been there doing his own thing 
And like he said, is secretly the only one that actually knows how to respond to all of the insanity that is happening in this movie. Um, all of this doesn't even touch on my favorite sequence of the movie, where instead of fighting, she uh, helps all of the people stopping her from getting <laughs> to Jabaki in, in fascinating ways, which, yeah. you know, is just a delightful sequence. Um, we're, we're ostensibly talking about the actors. We've sidetracked a little bit. Uh, James Hong is also incredible. Shout out to the fact that he's 91 in this movie. Um, killing it. Just just doing amazing. Um, but I think the only other person we had to talk about is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is My in this girl. movie. Uh, and kills it. Yeah. It's just incredible. What, what do you got? Uh, did you know her name is Deidre Babitra? <laughs> That is in the script. What um, more do you have to say? <laughs> what more do you have to say? This is this is such a delightful role, and it's it's yeah. it's so fun. I mean, she gets to like deploy her horror chops when she gets to be like um, the monster. Essentially, she's the monster yeah. of the film. If uh, Jobu is like the villain and the mastermind, she is like the Frankenstein, you know, monster. Yeah. And she is so much fun in that role. My goodness, she is like a force. But she also plays the the exhausted bureaucrat to such <laughs> delightful, like not a ounce of emotion in her wit delight. I mean, like yeah. every line she gives as that tax auditor is funny. It's just like every single thing she says to the sheer like, um, weird misplaced superiority and power trip that she's going on all the way down to, like I said, that like ingrained ex exhaustion that you really get to see revealed at the end of the film that underneath all of this, like gruffness is actually just a person who's just worn down by life. Um, mm. She is wonderful. And I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, she just very much like Michelle Yeoh just gets to do like a ton of different things all in the same role. And it's really, really fun. She's intimidating She's hilarious. She's mean. She's um, really someone that you sympathize and empathize with deeply at times. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I love Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, they I'm get a, her to do yeah. so many things in this movie, too. Particularly, uh, we, we haven't talked about the hot dog hands universe. And to a certain degree, there may not be that much to say about <laughs> it. Um, even though secretly... One of the coolest, like, like that actually plays in the themes of the movie quite a lot because of the way that in that she she does say this, yeah, uh, yeah. Evelyn says this in the movie, but in that universe they just figure out how to do things with their feet, no problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know that character to all of these other weird side characters, I love when she gives Evelyn a hit off of her vape at the end when they're actually bonding. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the character, and I think I I love her willingness to go all out i another little small anecdote i read is that the first day the, the first shoot on the first day of filming was the irs uh, audit and uh she said to to the daniels at some point uh i've wanted my whole life to get punched in the face by michelle yo because <laughs> she was so excited for that particular scene so you just know you can just tell that like this for this movie to work everyone had to be on the same page and have a fun attitude about it right yeah yeah. And apparently they did. And that also speaks volumes. Like it, 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 it matters that they have uh, this caliber of actor coming in, obviously in the same thing with Michelle Yeoh, the same thing with all these people. Um, but yeah, she kills it. It's amazing. 
Um, so yeah, all the acting is amazing. I just have a couple, like four or five other things that are ranging in size in terms of what we're talking about. Um, I want to call out the production design in general. Mm. I had an interesting conversation with someone. Uh, I think one of the people that I went to see the movie with where they said something offhand about the, the idea of this movie being this like huge production because it feels like, like so much is happening. And I, I gently corrected them that I was like, well, this movie was actually made for $25 million, which yeah. if, if listening out there, that may sound like a lot, we can't stress enough. That is nothing. Yeah. It, it today's it's shocking. Market. That shocking. Yeah. Th- that is a shock. Like, and honestly, like I, I don't have the actual numbers in front of me, but most, if not a significant portion of that was probably salaries for the big names. Yep. So they do so many clever little things on this movie to make it feel so big. Like, like one of the small things that it took me maybe the second viewing to notice, there's very few actual locations in this movie. Yeah. There's the IRS office and the laundromat. And when you really think about it, everything else is something that could have either easily been green screened or shot in like a day at like some pre-existing location, right? Like they don't have to actually build or make that many things. But again, they do all these little things to make it feel so much bigger, to make yes. it feel like you're going between universes and having all these moments. I, I really geek out on that. I think it portrays, again, really good filmmaking and really smart filmmaking. They also shot the movie in 38 days, which is very short, especially for this length. It's two and a half hours long. Um, it just seems like it was really cleverly put together and designed from the beginning to take advantage of a lot of little things. Um, one other little anecdote on that that I really, really liked. There's only 10 VFX uh, people on this movie, counting the directors who worked on the VFX for the movie, all of whom were self-taught. None of them, this isn't like contracted out to IOM or what a digital. It's basically just the filmmakers and their small team um, who self-taught from resources on the internet. And again, who do all this very clever little things that make it feel much bigger and higher budget than it really is. I love that stuff. I think that kind of harkens back to almost a bygone age of filmmaking. That was a lot scrappier, a lot yeah. of putting things together yourself. And again, it is, is so different than like the Marvel machine, right? Is, is yeah. so is, you know, it's not just like this, this uh, CGI porn. That's just, you know, the screen is lighting up with a billion things that look fake. It's actually really cleverly put together and makes so such very good use of all of its resources. Uh, yeah, I it's so well designed. I would I would jump off of that to say that like quietly the MVP of this movie, um, outside of the Daniels, is uh, the editor, the lead editor Paul Rogers, because kind yeah. of like what you're saying, one of the things that really sticks out to me on the second, third, fourth rewatch is is that expansiveness that you're talking about. And how much of that is done in the editing room. It's done by the way mm. that it flashes. I think like the best example of this is when Jobu is pressing and fighting Evelyn through the multiverses. And they're just going in fast <laughs> yeah. succession. And there's one that's like a cartoon drawing. There's one where they're a pinata. And it's just going quickly. And it makes you feel like you're jumping through like this really expansive multiverse. But at the end of the day, half of those are like something my two-year-old could create with a crayon like or yeah. could help me doing arts and crafts and it's it, it's really masterful and it, it, it he has yeah. all these small touches like that 
whether it's when Evelyn first puts on the earpiece and flashes through her life, and that's a lot of still frame, or the first time Evelyn jumps and she's straddling the two universes and they're taking place in the same setting. So it's like, again, like you're saying, they're shooting on the same set, but it feels like you've actually just entered two universes, which makes it feel big. It makes it feel very yeah. spectacle oriented when it's not. And I mean, I, I guess I'll shut up, but like one of my favorite scenes is when Jobu Tupaki arrives in their universe and the screen shrinks to widescreen and then she heads yes. through four universes really fast. That is just a brilliant move by a master editor and his director. And it makes yeah. you, again, I'm repeating myself, but it makes you feel like you're going on an expansive journey through an endless sea of possibilities and worlds. And really, that probably costs as much as it takes to get a film editing software. That yeah. is it's, awesome. It's <laughs> brilliant. Awesome. It's genuinely yeah. brilliant. Uh, I forgot about the the form the 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 screen format changing, which also has a dual role in terms of keep helping you keep track of where you are. Yeah. Later in the movie, in the second half, when they're cutting between a lot of things very quickly, sometimes they want you to just get straight up lost. And in particular, I want to shout out what might be like in a vacuum. Not not the most impactful, but from a filmmaking standpoint, my favorite like five minutes is when uh, you already mentioned it, but when Evelyn is like truly losing it. Yeah. And there's like a solid it feels like two minutes, but it's probably 30 seconds of just quick cuts of like that, that, f you know, front on shot of her uh, through. And, and again, it feels like in, you see infinite things. You see like an anime Evelyn. You see her in like underwater you see her in space you see her as a skeleton you see her and it feels like it does a thousand of those in 30 seconds again like actually budget conscious smart filmmaking and it feels like you for me it felt like watching 2001 like the last the like the last shot right where you're yeah. just like anything can happen my you know the whole universe of this movie is literally blowing up in front of me this is incredible um yeah so so cleverly designed so well designed for all of that uh, what do you got, Mike? I don't want to, don't want to monopolize the conversation for what works. Um, I mean, gosh, I, I, I would love, and this is probably what I have the most notes on, but I would love to talk about the balance this movie strikes and in particular, mm -hmm. and I guess what we can do is we can tackle these buckets one at a time. And it's the balance between its unabashed emotionality. It's, it's pathos, um, which I adore. And it's a, absurdism and both of those it does uh without any shame it does it without yeah. any winks or nods it is taking both very seriously and doing both to uh <laughs> wild degrees um and i i just think that needs to be kind of at the top of our list of why this movie works is that balancing absurdism and seriousness is so unbelievably hard if you mm. want to make an effective movie one will swallow up or render meaningless the other more often than not. Um, the absurdism will make what the stakes of the, the characters uh, irrelevant or the attempt for it to be very emotional will make the absurdism kind of feel cheap, right? Um, yeah. And this movie is not that. So I, I want to talk about those two things. I want to talk about the pathos of the movie. I want to talk about its absurdity. Which one do you want to start with? I want to start with the absurdity Um if, but if it's okay, I have I have a couple of thoughts on the balance as well yeah, because I absolutely I totally agree with your assessment. I think one of the most clever things that the movie does is the way, and it, you know, hopefully I'm not just restating your point, is the way that it it very. I, I think the timing is very important 
that when you spend a little bit too long or when you're almost too long in one of them, you'll get the cut to the other. So when we've spent a little bit too long in the intense seriousness of like the last act, in fact, there's actually one cut in particular. I remember when we cut to Evelyn and her daughter in the parking lot, her daughter actually shouts stop. And they have an extremely intense emotional conversation, right? Yep. So that comes right after we've had one of these bouts where we're bouncing around a bunch of things. But then after that emotional conversation, we're kind of in the middle of it because it's hard to distinguish. We get some of these cuts into some of these other universes, one of which is the Rakakuti universe. Oh, yes. Which, <laughs> I, I, which that one in particular, the way that they keep flashing back to that, again, at critical moments, essentially to let the air out of the room a little bit, yep. right? Yep. To like, you know what? We're building up tension. Let's remind people that they can laugh at this too and show like the the scene of the rack of them chasing the raccoon down and him screaming frank is it frank i don't remember um just isn't to, it just again, ra- get some isn't laughs it just in there raccoonie isn't that what he's calling well, no, it no, no, no. the, the rat but the raccoon's shouting back oh, at the yeah, guy when he's right, being driven away right, yeah that's right that's right um <laughs> and so yes i think the raccoon is raccoonie i i believe yes it is um, it is yeah but yeah you know the way that they they deploy that like a missile of like again like okay we don't we want you to to remember that you're having fun in a weird way here we go and so you're you're experiencing whiplash but you're also staying engaged and staying connected to both halves of the movie it's also what makes this really rewatchable i don't think either yeah. i both of us have a, a a are very much not on board with very long movies this is not a short movie and we, we will talk about it. i think there's maybe a few things i would be interested in cutting or i don't know if it needs to be there but broadly speaking i've seen it four times and it's two and a half hours so you know clearly there's they're they're handling that balance very yeah. effectively I, yeah. I think and and that speaks to that a lot and i think that's yeah i can't say it better i mean this movie we're gonna we get i i am positive that when we get into later sections of this podcast that we're going to get very serious about nihilism and meaning and the nature of presence and the importance of presence and blah, 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 blah. Um, this movie's hilarious. And the Rakakuni yeah. scene, the 2001 Space Odyssey creation of the hot dog finger universe. I mean, this shit is hilarious. <laughs> like it, yeah, it is like it's incredible. laugh out loud. And it's like, I, I cannot overstate how much I agree with you that it is like a shot of brevity. Missile is a great word for it into a movie that could easily have felt either burdensome or like overstuffed with what it's asking you to feel in a way that yeah. is exhausting. And it just knows how to hit you with dog nunchucks with a guy trying to put an audit award up his butt, <laughs> a dude actually doing said thing in slow motion uh, with it. And then a fight with it hanging out of his butt for the rest of the fight, uh, a hard cut to a rock universe. I mean, this is all stuff that is absurdism, but it, like you're saying is also used with such an intentionality and such an effectiveness to allow me to swallow what is quite frankly, deep, deep existential philosophy and uh, harrowing emotion in small mm. bites without being like drowned in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, we're on the same page. I, I feel like I just threw out 10 funny bits of that movie, but I, they needed some <laughs> shout outs. I mean, it's the best. That's okay. It's the best. That's okay. But yeah, but then on the other hand, so we have all these like really funny or absurdist moments that kind of draw you into like that breath that you're talking about. 
But on the other hand, there is that other side of it, which is that this maybe I think I already said it, but it is unabashedly emotional. It is unabashedly gut-wrenching at times. It is, I heard one person say this actually as a negative review of this movie, which I hmm. totally disagree with, which is he says this movie is always trying to give you a hug. Like it's always trying to embrace you in some form of emotionality. And this reviewer said that as if that's a negative thing. And I actually think it's the strength of this movie. I think there are like yeah. multiple moments in this movie where it could have gone into something darker. And I actually think the first time I saw it, that was something I thought too, like with yeah. the granddad, like maybe the granddad should have had a less redemptive arc in the end or whatever else. And maybe that gives this movie more layers. And I'm not saying it might not have, but I actually at the same time think that would have been a mistake. Cause I think what is, mm. What is compelling to me about this movie, especially in 2022, is that it is all in on a pathos that is both encouraging, but also honest about the nature of existence, but also um, affecting. And I don't yeah. think many movies that have the ambition of this one intellectually are trying to do that. So there's a couple layers to that pathos I would like to unpack. Do you have anything you want to say about the that broad statement first, though? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I totally agree. I, I think the, the, the point of clarification that's really important is that it's unabashedly emotional, but it's never, in my opinion, saccharine, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's taking the real stakes associated with emotionality. It's not because I have a feeling that reviewers saw it, which actually, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't have a lot of patience for people who are like, there, there's a certain part of that that almost reads to me as like, the kind of the kind of like arrested development person that um that needs everything to be dark and edgy in order to be yeah. meaningful yep. to which i have i, I just am totally I'm interested in but but having said that i do think that that person is probably thinking about the idea of like um what was PewDiePie released a book this is years ago now but called this book loves you that kind of again totally meaningless ultimately like sentimentality is what they're perceiving in this. But again, I would totally disagree. I would say yeah. this, this movie, like I said, there's stakes to all of it. It's not taking when it, you're right. It's always trying to hug you, but it also understands the weight behind that and, yeah. and gives it it's, it's due and it's attention. So I like that idea though of it, but yeah. Um, and, and I, I think yeah. that's a great way to put it. And I think the stakes are probably the best way to explore this element of the movie because I think it handles the stakes of its characters so well as we explore like what the, the emotionality or the pathos of this movie is. I mean, I think this movie is a deftly handled and gut-wrenching family drama, in particular in terms of its conversations on like what is family, what does it mean in the, the vastness of our universe, and then what is the nature of generational trauma. Obviously, we've already talked about the scene with Joy and her girlfriend, but like even when... Evelyn is talking to her father with the pretty gut-wrenching line of, I can't let her go like you did to me. How on earth did you let me go so easily? Like, Oof, the yeah. arc that she goes on building to that, her being able to vocalize that line to her father is an emotional roller coaster for one, but I actually think it's just a really profound exploration of the things that we give to our children, especially in this, like, yeah. negative traumatic side. Um, but then there's also the positive side. And that is like this movie has a couple of lines that just like left me weeping as both a father, but also a son, just as a as a person, quite frankly. I think in particular, there's the conversation between Evelyn and Joy that kind of 
really acts as like the the wrapping up central focus of the film. Um, and yeah, if we have that clip, I would just love to roll that. Maybe it's like you said. Maybe there is something out there, some new discovery that will make us feel like even small pieces of shit. Something that explains why you still went looking for me through all of this noise. And why, no matter what, I still want to be here with you. I will always, always want to be here with you. So what? You're just gonna ignore everything else? You could be anything, anywhere. <laughs> Might not go somewhere where you're... Where your daughter is more than just... This. <laughs> Here, all we get are a few specks of time where any of this actually makes any sense. <laughs> I will cherish these few specks of time. That yeah. is unbelievable in terms of like an exploration on where we find meaning, what the purpose of existence is, what we should even be investing our lives into in terms of quote unquote meaningfulness. I mean, yeah, you're talking about a bagel. It's like this is a bagel about a family drama wrapped inside of it is this conversation about presence wrapped inside of that is about what does it mean to invest our lives in a way that is actually meaningful in a meaningless universe? Unbelievable stuff. And the, I mean, yeah. that is the moment of the movie where every single time I've watched this movie, I have cried. And that is a, a un, I mean, that is just a testament to this movie's a willingness to be emotional in a smart, direct, and I think really profound way. I totally agree. I th it's funny. I also centered on that line and on the way that she finally is able to talk to her, her father, right? Like, and, and in a sense, it's cliche to say that out loud because that's such a classic, like kind of dichotomy or kind of problem, but that gets back or sorry, kind of dilemma to be solved in this kind of movie. But that gets back to what we were talking about of like, it's him it's dealing with overt sentimental emotional ideas but doing so in a really i think profound way a really meaningful way um yeah it's exceptional it, it's yeah. it's and for me it's kind of what i was saying earlier where i, th I think that landed hardest for me with the wayman part and, and yeah specifically when he has the line of you think i'm weak don't you Right. Like when he's talking to her. Yeah. And again, part of it, there, there's a there's a metatextuality that it's like, is this not kind of how we are supposed to be viewing him as the audience? Sorry, I'm, I'm stalling because I'm actually trying to pull up the quote. Um, OK, there we go. You think because I'm kind that it means I'm naive and maybe I am. It's strategic and necessary. This is how I fight. And again, there, there's actually more to it than that, but 
that idea to me lands with that emotional punch, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah oof, I think it's incredible. That line. I mean, I think it's when it comes to Wayman, it's that one. And then, I mean, there's like these two lines, like Evelyn earlier in the film says, I saw my life without you. I wish you could have seen it. It was beautiful, which is just like one of the most gut wrenching lines ever yeah, written awful. in a movie. But then when he comes back later in that, in the universe that you're talking about where he says, so even though you have broken my heart yet again, I wanted to say in another life, I would have really liked just doing laundry and taxes with you. That's it actually is, the one that does get me. Yeah, it I, is I, beautiful. Yeah. And like you said, yeah. yeah, it's sentimentality, but that's not saccharine. That is something that if you do not relate to it, it's because you're a dead husk of a human being. Um, and it, it, and again, <sighs> yeah. within its sentimentality is actually layers upon layers of, I actually think like provocation of how yeah. many of these moments and these aspects of our lives that if we just embraced or accepted or said yes to, we would find literally the only meaning that is. Um, how many of those do we just miss because we're yeah. bouncing around in fantasies or whatever else? I just think, mm, yeah, the pathos, the emotionality, how well that is done, how well that is then bridged into those breaths of absurdism and humor is probably the biggest strength of the movie. So, yeah. Whew, I need a break. John, you got to throw something else out there. I don't, Well, we're getting towards the end of my list. Uh, so actually, I don't, I don't have too much more. The last point, it's funny. We always end up saying this point later on. Yeah. And when we say it, we're always like, this kind of encapsulates everything else. So maybe we should have led with it. <laughs> it's just an extremely, uh, it's just an extremely well-written movie. Yeah. Um, particularly what I noticed this most recent rewatch is how great the opening 15 minutes are. Because we have so much that we need to get to. And so much we need to establish about these characters, their relationships, their life situation. Um, and they just handle it beautifully. It starts yeah. with the, it's the classic storytelling role. You start with the normal day and the character. So we're with Evelyn. She's bouncing around. She doesn't really have time to listen to anything her family is actually trying to tell her. From her husband to her daughter, even to a certain extent her father, to the IRS agent. You know, she's just, you can tell she just doesn't. She doesn't engage with her own life in a meaningful way, but we go through all of these little interactions that really cleanly establish that. Um, even to the way that she's so annoyed with the googly eyes that her husband is putting everywhere, even with the way <laughs> that she's trying to get people excited for the party, but also won't sit down to actually do anything is, is just, and is sending her daughter off to do all these things and doesn't, but doesn't trust her to help with this thing. You just understand so much about all of the characters. Yeah. But again, it's very tight writing when you look at it. Like it's, we're moving. We are, it's part of why the movie is long, but doesn't really feel long until one particular moment. But for the most part, it doesn't feel long. Again, I think, I just think it's expertly written. Yeah. Um, and it's just something we sometimes gloss over. So it's important to remember. Uh, that might be all I have. The only other point I kind of said with the absurdism thing, which maybe I'll just restate one more time. This movie is very committed to being very out there. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. it has to be because yeah. if it didn't, if it didn't really go out there, I think like the moment, I don't know why I'm bringing up Rakakuti again, but I, I, just note, <laughs> I just want to note that like, I think my theater like collectively lost their minds when what what appears to be a throwaway joke from early in the movie because yeah. remember it starts with the joke where she's just trying to remember ratatouille and thinks yeah. it's a raccoon yep 
And you kind of think in the movie, oh, that was a pretty great little throwaway joke, whatever. And then lo and behold, it is an entire sequence that they have shot that actually kind of keeps coming back. It's like kind of a pretty, pretty part substantial of part of yeah. the last half of the movie. Um, even then to the rock scene, which we didn't even go into, to the... Yeah, there's just so much that they have to go all out for. They can't half-ass on any of this stuff, or you won't buy into the premise of what's happening. Um, and then I guess last thing on that, speaking again to the balance of it all, I really appreciate that we keep on, that there's the storyline that is just Evelyn going between the IRS and her laundromat that is sitting beneath everything else. And if you really want to, if you're this kind of viewer... You can only accept the movie on that premise, and yeah. it is a great movie. Um, I actually think that's really smart filmmaking. That's like, you know, it's part of, and it's also why I kind of doubt, maybe I was not giving enough credit earlier when I, I was saying that maybe this movie doesn't hit across generations, because I have a feeling that if you're, if you're not there for the wacky side of this movie, I think that part of it would still land for you. I don't know, because God, I was totally I so. there for the wacky side. Um but I think it, it, in a sense, like what I'm saying is it maintains that groundedness as crazy as that sentence is. I think it does maintain that groundedness enough yeah. that it should land no matter what. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say. I, I think that's it's it's an incredible, incredible movie. Do you have anything else on that? Well, yeah, I, I just on that, I would just say it's a perfect marriage of form and function because what. Yeah, it, it's like you're saying it's a brilliant choice in terms of just filmmaking to give the movie a backbone that is incredibly relatable, which is this family dynamic taking place between Evelyn and Joy. And that is yeah. the backbone. Like you're saying, if you want to only follow that, you're going to get something pretty powerful out of it. It's going to hit you in the gut. It's going to be an emotional ride. And then wrapped around that is all of this existential reflection on the vastness of our cosmos and what does it mean to exist in this cosmos and yada, yada, yada. But what's brilliant about that is exactly is that that is exactly the central theme of the movie these things that you think are everyday life are actually the only meaning you're going to find in this vast cosmos and the vastness of the cosmos is actually found in the simplest moments of your everyday life like this is yeah. it right this is the whole thing and it's all underneath each other and intertwined and they're all deeply interrelated i'm sorry if this is too existential but it's amazing how, again, form and function are just perfectly wedded in that way. The thematic resonance of the film is also the smart strategic choice of the film in terms of its structure. And I think that's super cool. I have nothing else to say about it. I just think that's like a really brilliant little stroke of genius from two directors yeah. that are pretty amazing. So um, beyond that, in terms of what works in this movie, you already brought up the writing. Um, I think this movie is pretty exceptional at not getting in the weeds of the uh, exposition of the science. It's just like, go, go, go. We verse jump, which is a really cool idea. This whole first jumping thing. And I love the idea of having to do yeah. something weird to do it. Just neat. Um, I can't believe we haven't done this yet, but uh, the fight sequences in this movie are delightful. <laughs> so we probably there's, need to do that. There's a specific reason we haven't done I it. Know. That's going to come up and doesn't I know. work. It's coming up next, but, but you the are fanny right. pack They're fight. Incredible. Super fun. Um, yeah. When he, fills it with the rocks from the fish tank and he flips it around and rebuckles it. It I, I wanted to cheer the fight with Deidre for the first time where is that pro wrestling? She's going for the backbreaker. Just <laughs> wonderful. Like just wonderful little yeah. scene. Um, and 
John, if you have nothing else, this is probably a perfect time to segue into the next section because this is well and it's it's important to state that i i think all of the action is great and is well done and i'm with you and this is one of those things where i would accept that there's a personal preference side of this but if we want to start talking about why this yeah. movie doesn't work and it was only on the third rewatch i really pinpointed it and i'm curious if you have the same thought as me, this is our least popular which is that... take ever john I can this is what it. this is going to be our least popular take ever I can live with that. <laughs> that uh, my for me, it all comes down to the basically the second IRS fight. Yep. Which is after it's it's even hard. See, and, and my problem with it is that this is where I'm like, this movie is too long, and yep. none of the scene matters. And the first viewing, this is when I was about to check out, and on every subsequent viewing, I'm tempted to skip it. Yeah. Which is, and I usually don't, but. You know, somewhere around the time that they're doing the fight with the uh, the gas chamber where yep. she's and it's kind of cool that she's flipping the other universes to get different skills. But that starts taking it to the extreme of like, now this is just a silly action movie. There's, in my opinion, nothing being added to the story in that scene in that entire. And it's like pretty long. It's like 10, 15 minutes. And again, it's a two and a half hour movie. So it's like, oh, boy. I just think that this movie is too long, and I only say that because of that scene. Because every other scene, I think, is a sen- is pretty essential. Yeah. But nothing is being added there that whole yep. time. With and you. and it's only, frankly, it's only gotten worse every time I watch it. That I'm like, every time I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool and clever, but ultimately, I don't want to watch this movie for this part of this movie. Um, so I guess that's that may even be my single biggest like is that what holds this movie back? Is that the single biggest problem with this movie? Yeah. Same. I wrote. Yeah. Least popular take ever. This movie is too long. It could have used a few less fight sequences because those are the least interesting parts of the movie. Um, yeah. In particular in mind is that vault scene. And it is. Yeah. And when I say it's the least popular, it's because that's by far the most stylized, the most choreographed. It has the most interesting stuff going on in terms of action sequences but even outside of like how funny it is watching a girl use her dog as a nunchuck and a guy put a trophy up his butt, um, even that drags. It just goes on and yeah. on and on. It's like totally a boss agree. fight. And I'm just like, it's definitely the part of the movie that when I said at the beginning, I was like, I don't get what the fuss is about. Those are the scenes I'm thinking about. Because once yeah. we get into the actual meat of what this movie wants to be, which is far more existential, far more, again, emotional far more um philosophical that's when the movie takes off for me and both in its absurdism yeah. and its pathos and and these sequences it feels like that that gas chamber all that stuff in particular fight sequence just feels like it's only in there because they feel an obligation to have a certain number of fight sequences in the movie and i'm not saying that's what yeah. they did that's just how it feels to me because it doesn't feel necessary so and I'm here's why i think you're correct that like this might just be unpopular because uh, again, I, I saw this several times in theaters. The, these were big moments for the yeah, theater, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And people were there, but I think you and I actually had an eerily similar take. I actually remember texting about it after because I saw the movie first and you saw it uh, second. And I remember how similar both of our takes were that at that precise moment in the audience in the first viewing, I thought, uh, you know what, this may not actually be a good movie. <laughs> this may yeah. be if this is the rest of the movie. Then I'll I'll go down saying oh that was pretty good had some interesting ideas but ultimately 
it was just kind of a mindless movie that wasn't that interesting. Just not now for everything me. changes yeah. within ten yeah. minutes, so like no yep. worries. But yep. yeah, that's where it starts to drag for me. It's the only part. I checked um, my phone for the first time. I think. Yeah. I was just like, yep. Guess this one wasn't I, for me. It's gonna be a huge hit. That I'm not. It's kind of like yeah, some of the Marvel movies where I'm just like, okay, like I it was good. Oh, I, I, I'm it. not mad about it, but I, I don't. I'm not responding to this like other people are. So yeah, it was yeah. nice for it to change. But and also for what it's worth, like a lot of the a lot of that I kind of and this might even be getting a little bit too harsh. A lot of that scene is also like, for lack of a better term, shock humor that again doesn't land past the first time. Yeah. So like yeah. the whole like like they have to stick something up their butt. It is funny to say it, but in order to to get it to the other universe, first time everyone's losing their minds. I feel like the second time you're like, okay, I get it. You know, I, I mean? did. Like, yeah, I did. Cool. I, I don't know. I did laugh the second time, but the guy comes in in slow motion and it's like blurred out for some reason, which I think is really funny. They just didn't want the R rating, <laughs> but they still wanted them to be naked. They have an R rating. They didn't want like the X rating probably. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Whatever so I, the NC-17. I, I definitely laughed at that. And then it's dangling on his butt. Like I did laugh both times I watched it. Sure. Um, and in fact, those aren't even the parts of the, that fight that are uninteresting to me. It's actually the actual fighting that then follows that I'm just like, I don't care. I just don't oh, yeah, care. Okay. Um, anyway, I get it. I get it. They're hitting each other. And again, you know, no, just amazingly choreographed shot, whatever, all that yep. stuff. But yeah, it's just just a little bit much for me. Um, I only have two other things and what doesn't work or what holds it back. Uh, one of them you already kind of called out and I'm very hesitant because I, I don't I'm more asking the question. I don't really necessarily think this is a problem, but I did think it the first time I saw the movie that uh, like some of the tension points are wrapped up maybe a little bit cleanly. Yep. You already called out the biggest one that actually I heard a lot of people mention. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's worth noting this movie was already very long. So maybe you just don't have time to get into this. And I'm very grateful that like, there's representations that go against the stereotype of what people do on basis of age or culture or whatever. All that being said, it is remark. It sticks out how quickly the grandfather is super cool with his lesbian granddaughter. Right. Yeah. And like, but I think why it sticks out is because the movie has already presented it as a point of tension. Right. That's been the whole movie. We've literally from the first scene, there's like this undercurrent of, you know, we are nervous about how he will respond to this. Clearly Evelyn thinks he will respond poorly. Um, Joy wants to tell him about it, but her mom is stopping her from doing all this different stuff. So the fact that we've built up to it, but when it finally happens within literally one scene, within literally five minutes of screen time, he's just like, I'm in is just kind of it. If nothing else, it sticks out. And I guess that's the question is, does it stick out? Cause it's bad. Cause it's so unrealistic that you're like, Oh, that just doesn't strike me as a, as a fulfilling resolution to this plot line. I don't know. Again, part of me also appreciates that it's like, because the idea that it's unrealistic is kind of a stereotype of like, yeah, an old person would never just accept yeah, that yeah. immediately. It's like, well, that's not true. There's open-minded people everywhere. And it's like of all ages and whatever. It's like, okay, but I, I, I don't think, know. A lot I of think, questions. What, what do you I think? So I, I, the first two times I saw this movie, I came away with that as being a, a pretty strong, what didn't work um, is that there was a darkness or at least a, a grayness that I thought this movie would have been benefited by. But also, like I said, I actually think I've come around the other way, you know, in that, in that particular instance, I think there's two interesting things going on. 
I think the uninteresting thing is this movie's too long and they probably did just cut some stuff. Um, <laughs> they didn't need another, they didn't need another yeah. 10 minute seed of like, yeah, exactly. I think the more interesting conversations with that character in particular, which is where this critique focuses on. So that's why I'm sure. bringing it up. There's a couple is, other things, but that is the big yeah, one. Yeah, the primary right. one. Yeah. One, we actually have not seen anything from the father that says he would reject this. And I think that's yeah. an interesting conversation, which is an exploration of Evelyn's mindset. Of how much yeah. does she presume she and how is much convinced is that. the specter yeah. of her father, how much does that still direct how she treats her own children and actually causes mm-hmm. harm? And I think that's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true in terms of like how they're writing that character, but I think it's an interesting thing to point out. I think the more interesting one is that what maybe would challenge me to ask is like, what does it matter what he thinks? Like over yeah. and over again, the whole point of this movie is actually like <laughs> him resolving his feelings about joy and his ability to do that um the belief that that needs to happen is actually the thing that evelyn has to get over to heal the relationship with her daughter right is that she just actually cannot care about how he's going to take it and in fact giving it screen time is almost besides the point like his ability to comprehend this and to accept this is is actually tangential to what the movie is trying to resolve in its own arc so i think that's a more interesting response um, I think the truer answer is lack of time. I think what I have, where I have come even more pragmatically than that is that I love this movie because it goes all out. I've been saying that it goes all in on its absurdism, all in on yeah. its, its emotionality, all in on its desire to uplift. And then for me to then turn around and be like, eh, except for this one moment, you should have been not uplifting or you should have been non-redemptive or you should have been non-emotional. I think there's like a part of me that at some point on the third viewing was like, I'm being ridiculous. And I'm actually asking this movie to basically give me one thing at a hundred miles an hour until this one second, I wanted to come to a screeching halt and do the exact opposite and then go back to the thing that I, that was a hundred miles an hour. Um, Yeah. And I just think I'm, I'm, I'm asking too much of the film at some point. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I, I'm inclined to agree. I do also appreciate uh, what got a good laugh in my theater and again, gets to that idea of balancing all of these things. I, I just really enjoy the moment when the grandfather is looking at the, or is ta- talking to the, to the girlfriend. And he says like, girlfriend, you're like, oh my God, he accepts her. And she smiles for a second and then says, what did he say? <laughs> and you realize, say? of course, she has no idea what's <laughs> yeah. going on because yeah. they've all been speaking in Chinese. I, that's actually a great moment of what, what we said earlier, a great moment of brevity in the middle of it that you're like, oh yeah. Um, Cause you forget. Excuse me, because you forget you're so in the story, you forget. Oh wait, I'm reading the subtitles. They're talking in in uh, Cantonese and Mandarin. Therefore, this character also has no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's yep. pretty funny. It's great. Um, it's great. My last, what doesn't work or what might not work? Uh, I actually already asked the question, so I guess I'm just restating it. But I do think this every single time, and I'm curious if you can guess which part of the movie I have this thought. But I do always wonder if the movie is a tiny bit too preachy uh what what do you think is the scene that i always think this in and this has as much to do i realize with the presentation as the content well it's interesting i i i think my answer is wrong because you love wayman but wayman's entire <laughs> speech is the part of this movie that it hits that that i feel that way i've had the exact same thing. yeah i totally disagree i, I yeah. think that 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 lands 100 for me well, no it does land it just it's the most direct in which someone is literally talking at the screen about how we should exist in the world 
And I'm See, like, that's crazy to me because there's a scene later where there are two rocks and the yeah, text on 100%, screen says, 100%, yep. we, <laughs> the text, this is on so screen, revelatory. The text says, <laughs> we knew and defended for thousands of years that earth was the center of the universe, universe, which by the way, the historicity in me does say that's not a very accurate representation of the human development. Of I think it's really interesting that you're defending middle age, <laughs> the middle ages and their take on science. That's an interesting take, John. It's more nuanced than that is my point that like it, it's, it's, it is worth kidding. noting that there's, and that's why I wonder if it's preachy because it's ba- yeah. it's basically like, I'm going to encapsulate all of human history into five sentences in order to make a point. That's yeah. where I start to get to like, kind of tilt my head to the side a little bit. Like, ah, the, to me, that's the definition of preachy, right? Yeah. Is that's like, let me like kind of straw man all of this in okay. order to make a really good point. I agree with the point, but it's no, also yeah. and and again also the presentation where it's just like I'm just writing these on the screen. I I often at that moment am a little like I get a little nervous, Mike. I'm a little like uh, this is well, funny. You know, this is how this is this landing. This is this is true reader response. This is revelatory because like yeah. that's the part of the, that is the sequence of the movie that I like the most, and I that's, connect that's to yeah. the most. Um, I think it's such a, a a jarring transition. It's such an interesting philosophical moment. All, all that's the stuff that I geek out about this movie. I I love that you connect to Waybit. So his preaching, you're like, oh no, that lands. But it, all to say that this movie is definitely preachy what you find to be the best example of that is going to be dictated by your taste. I think is I can accept that. Um, the way it says more about you because it makes some sweeping statements. I mean, again, Wayman's entire monologue is like, we are all scared and confused. And the answer is to be kind. That is a sweeping statement. That is a sweeping (laughs) statement on the nature of man and the solution to the flaws. You just hate, Um, (laughs) you hate love. Kindness. I hate kindness. kindness. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but all to say, like, I this, know, movie, I see what you're saying, this yeah. movie is drawing with a broad brush over and over again. And in that sense, yes, it is preachy. What you find to be that way, again, is going to be based on what you connect to. But um, yeah, but yeah, and we hate action sequences. So. Man, we we are. We suck. It's an interesting take. Yeah, we're, we're the worst. Um, I like the scene with the rocks and the text on the screen. <laughs> I, and to be clear, I like that scene. In fact, when it first yeah. comes up, it's one of those, like, I think they have to have a couple big jarring transitions. Yes. Again, kind of just to keep you engaged. But you didn't, we didn't even mention my first one in the first moment where I, as the viewer, was like, okay, this movie is having a little bit of fun is when it, it fake ends, <laughs> when everyone yeah. dies Brilliant. and it comes up written and directed by the Daniels. And, you know, for, you know, it's not, you know, we're having fun, but for the, for a split second, your brain's like, what? Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Uh, It's great. It's, it's so enjoyable. Um, Anything else? So that was everything I had for what made the oldest movie back. I got two more that are not what doesn't work, but more of the, what holds this movie back for me personally. Um, There is no doubt that I miss layers upon layers of this movie and at the very least, it hits differently because I am not from a family of like recent immigrants. Um, hmm. And also, more specifically, not Asian or Chinese American. There's just like yeah. a level of cultural expectation and mother daughter relationship that has a cultural element to it that I can relate to, but not not as implicitly, quite frankly, in terms sure. of the actual dynamics. And again, that's nothing to do with the movie. I think this is 
one of those wonderful examples where I can say like this movie wasn't made for me in a lot of ways. And that's a good thing in terms of like sure. yeah. the, the dynamics that it's display, displaying. That's a step forward for Hollywood that I'm like, I'm a white man with a white mother who's lived in America for a long time. And I don't get why their relationship is this way. Um, like that's I, good. I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm necessarily the target audience that can relate to everything either. I will say I did feel like I felt like secondhand guilt from when <laughs> um, joy is talking to her, to her grandfather and can't string together a coherent Chinese sentence Yeah, because <laughs> I often have the experience where my mom's like, here, here's your abuelitos on the phone and I'll talk to them. And like, I also can't string together a, Spanish, a sentence in Spanish to save my life. So I've got to like, how are you? Like, you know, Spanish 101. And I'm like, oh my God. So I, that part, at least I was like, well, I do. I do know what that's like. Just feel like, <laughs> oh, I'm the worst. I can't, that's I can't great. speak this at all. That's uh, I also, it was funny though, because the way he responds, your Chinese is worse every time we speak. There was this fun moment in my head where I'm like, I wonder if my grandparents say that about me, but I also don't know because I can't speak. <laughs> in the same way that she's totally oblivious to his comment. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. And um, then last one that's not a real answer, but kind of. Uh, would the hot dog finger universe start spraying ketchup and mustard everywhere? Just didn't need that. Did it? Did I, it I was about that. to say, I, did it love I, that for I, me? I struggled with the hot dog universe uh, quite a lot, like from a <laughs> emotional, spiritual standpoint. <laughs> I was just like, oh. I also was a little bit annoyed. Uh, this is now not a problem with the movie. This is just me talking for a second. Um, when she later on, because that's also the universe where she and Deirdre are together. Uh, when she rejects Deirdre and she gets really sad and leaves, my theater would not stop laughing and personally i was like you are all like insensitive weirdos because this is actually a pretty emotionally harrowing moment and i feel really bad for the character and none of you could see past the fact that they have hot dogs for fingers i don't yeah. know if that's intentional i don't know if i'm on the ride on this one but uh disappointed in my theater a little bit i'm gonna say mike i'm with you i'm right there i'm right yeah. there uh, it, it was actually kind of like the awkward laughs where people are just like, ah, ha, ha. Sure. and it's like, yeah, you guys are, uh, you just can't handle it. And that's okay. I'm judging you, but it's okay. I'm judging you, but you know what? We all have to, we all have to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, what a pretentious combat. Anything else? <laughs> no, that's it. Uh, in this next section, we have stray thoughts. Um, I've actually used up a lot of mine, so I may have to come up with things on the fly, but we'll make it work. Mike and yeah. I will go back and forth with just some random thoughts we had during the research of this movie or while watching this movie. Um, I just want to head this off real quick, Mike. It's season three. You know, we've been doing this a lot. And if you're a listener of the show, you know that we have this whole question centering around. Oh, no! <laughs> centering around the character of Llewellyn Davis. Um, and you know, Mike, I think we need to come straight with the people again. It's season three. We're getting a little older and I just want to establish right here. Uh, we're in no way going to abandon this bit. It's going to be no. front and center every episode going forward. It's a for matter every of integrity. That we... Yeah. It's a matter of personal integrity and professional <laughs> integrity, frankly. Um, having said that I couldn't figure out which character to compare him to because quite frankly, every single character in this movie is undeniably a better hang than Will and yep. Davis. I think yep. we can just call it there, right? Like, yep. is anyone even in contention? You know, in the moment in which 
a dildo-wielding omni-universal <laughs> being who is hell-bent on destroying the cosmos um, by dress and by temperament is a obviously way better hang than William Davis. Obviously. Yeah. It's just not I think, even a question. I think, I think we could wrap case closed. Case closed for a second. I was going to say like, like while watching the movie, I thought of the grandfather, but again, he's got this nice little arc ends up being a cool guy. Yeah. That man. guy seems way more fun to hang out with. Than and his wheelchair turns me? into a Gundam. So come on. Yeah. <laughs> This is amazing. I forgot about that with the printers and everything. Yeah, ever, everyone in this movie. It's not even a question. Sorry, Tyler. Um, <laughs> sorry, Tyler. What is what is your what's your first thought? Oh, this one's gonna fill your joy. It's gonna fill your yeah. joy, John. There comes a time in everyone's life where they saw a film, probably at the wrong season, wrong mm. headspace, and and they judged that movie and they were hard on that movie, and later through chance in this dark empty void of a universe they return to it and completely change their perspective on it and that is exactly what this movie made me do with ratatouille um i am a better man because this movie made me go back and rewatch ratatouille which i thought was just a dumb kids movie or one of pixar's weaker films i watched it with my daughter it rules i have complete like ratatouille shot up my pixar rankings uh it's a yeah. masterpiece I love it. My daughter loved it. It was a great time. Thank you, I, Daniels, for this. I gift. have to ask you how sincere this is, because I, I, I genuinely no, love Ratatouille. 100%. I think it's a great movie. It's I, it was one of those moments where I was just like, ah, shit, John was right. <laughs> like, this movie rules. <laughs> Got one and, in the books. Yeah, and it was it was now, entirely, it was literally because of this movie. So, shouts, shout out. Thank I, you. I'm just going to tweet the Daniels real quick and ask them if they can sneak in like a, a retroactively very positive take on Avatar just to no. try to complete the no. circle on whatever their next movie is. Um, I, I, I just need I just need the win, Mike. I, I am perfectly happy with that arrangement. Also, like you've already told me this a little bit. So don't act like like a huge part of this was not also your daughter's glowing response to the movie, which again, you know what? It's a well-made movie. It lands for the kids. What no, can you yeah, say? Absolutely. They know I what they're doing. My daughter loved it. Um, you know, she loves Totoro. She loves Red great TV. taste. That's it. She knows what That's she's all there about. Is to it. That's all there is to it. Um, by the way, well, you know what? I'll just make this my next straight thought. Cause I was going to be running out of them soon. <laughs> Do you know who voices Rakakuni actually no. in this movie? No. Randy Newman is the voice of Rakakuni <laughs> as an uncredited role. But uh, why? He only has like five lines, but, but it's it's one of the best uncredited things I've ever I've ever heard my entire life. I easiest love that paycheck fact. he ever made. That's great. That's wonderful. Easiest and probably most fun paycheck he ever made. Again, I think he only says like like Dan. Like I think the guy's name is Dan. He's like Dan. No, like it's but it's amazing. It, it's yeah. you know oscar worthy you might even say um yep. i'm counting that as a stray thought so what, what you got i gotta uh, we, i gotta use up space here mike we have come back to the scene more than we should have and for that i apologize to the listeners but on the rewatch deidre pointing to her tax audit awards for the first time is a really jarring moment because you know it's going up someone's butt in just about an hour that's a that's an amazing amazing point <laughs> Yep. And it also is like on the first watch is like one of the best little 
uh, visual gags, I think. Yep. The fact that is. that is the IRS trophy, you but almost man, could believe That second you time, you like, believe it. You're like, that's that's up the butt shaped. That's exactly what that is. Um, this is just an interesting little fact. The lead role in this movie was originally written for Jackie Daniel Chan. Radcliffe. Oh, not Daniel Radcliffe. Jackie Chan. <laughs> um, which you kind of think like I I, I think it probably came. So it wasn't that they offered it, they didn't want it, and they rewrote it. They decided. Uh, after uh, during pre-production, they're like, you know, we actually think it'd be much more interesting. What what I read is that they were much more interested in the wife-husband relationship that they were they were mining and the, and the mother-daughter relationship. Yeah, um, yeah. And that that wouldn't have worked quite the same way with uh, the male character, but um, pretty fascinating. I wrote down better or worse question mark. I don't really know. if we have the chops to say, you know, I yeah. think there's a lot more metatextual stuff they would have gone for. If yeah. it was Jackie Chan. Right. For um, sure. but yeah, kind of an interesting idea. Who knows? Uh, here's another little trivia in the battle scene with the gas that we have much maligned. Um, Wayman delivers a reference to Ki-Hu Kwan's Indiana Jones character short round when yelling at Evelyn to snap out of it. The scene plays out exactly the same way in the Temple of oh, Doom yeah. when Indy is under the spell of Mullah Ram. And she, yeah, snap out of it. He throws the, yep. throws the fire into his face. Literally yeah. the same. And they, they kind of ad-libbed it. So, fun fact. They have, have a little moment there. I like that. Um, this one, I'm now just going to blatantly repeat things I've already said, but whatever. Okay. They described it. The Daniels described this as, quote-unquote, an action film about empathy. I just really love that idea. I just think that encapsulates a lot of what this movie is doing. And I just wish we had more action movies about empathy. I would take this, like, j- just to clarify for everyone listening, I think this is basically existing as an antidote to what I consider genuinely problematic about John Wick, a movie we've also done yeah. this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, again, feeds into that superhero modern day thing of, like, ultimately the best thing you can do is take charge of your world and punch people. And I think it's very important that it's like, no, that's not really true. And this also is an idea that is worth noting, but at any rate. Yeah. Not spot on. Um, single greatest burn of any movie ever. Uh, <laughs> Alpha Wayman to Evelyn. Most people only have a few significant alternate life paths so close to them, but you here, you're, you're capable of anything because you're so bad at everything. At everything. <laughs> I love that line. But Savage. I also love it. I would also state, though, that I think there is a spiritual underpinning to that, there to even that idea, is. right? There is. There is. Because it's like, you know, something about the idea of like, I don't know, we don't have to get into that. But yeah, I I do quite enjoy that line. I like, we didn't even mention that whole theme, but that's also a very important thing about the way that she hasn't, feels like she hasn't done very much. And to a certain extent, she's right, but also it opens up what she's capable of. Yeah. Um, this is kind of another cool thing in terms of like some of the smart production design ideas of this movie and things that are also very smart in terms of when the movie is made. So they shot the movie, this is very unusual, but almost entirely at very high speed. Um, That's the, the cameras. Yeah. Uh, which basically allowed them to at will move shots into slow motion that they hadn't planned on doing. 
Um, it's one of those things that the only reason why movies haven't done this before is because on film it would be prohibitively expensive. And frankly, there just hasn't been that many digital movies made and no one has really had that idea before now. Again, one of those cases of just being very smart in how you make something, of them realizing mm. we're shooting this digitally, so what's a resource that's very cheap? Film. Like We could just shoot a lot of footage and we could shoot it all at high speed and honestly, why not? Um, it's a simple idea, but a really smart one. Cause, cause, and when you rewatch the movie, you notice there's a, they very cleverly use slow motion a lot and realizing that a lot of those weren't decisions they had to make beforehand, but they could make that decision later in editing of just like, Hey, let's, let's take this part slow. Um, really clever. I just really like that idea. Yeah. I love that. I do. That's really cool. Um, here's a question for you, John. Yeah. Which act of verse jumping did you respond to the most viscerally? Uh, I think the finger cutting, but like the fin- the, yeah. the paper cuts between the fingers maybe have like a very like really physical response. I actually think eating chapstick is like a low. I was key about to say one. eating chapstick. I was gonna say that like for me, like like I'm a very taste sensitive person, and so I think eating the chapstick was very tough to to watch and he really savors it he chews on it oh he goes down baby it's it's tough it's really tough i do really enjoy this is like a background shot i love when when um the grandfather tells them all to jump and they all start like like his people and they all start doing weird things yeah i really love the lady that starts swaying her arms and singing very beautifully the ave maria i just find (laughs) that i just find that delightful it is um I got one more. I think I have one more too. Yeah, I have one more. So that works out. Okay. Uh, if one of the alternate universes was made into a full movie, which one would you want to watch? I think there's an obvious answer here, by the way. I mean, I but would watch. Like, I would watch the Rock Universe. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> um, I think Rakakuni R- R- already is a movie. So, so Rakakuni was my obvious answer that yeah. I, I just thought I wanted to watch three hours of, of Rakakuni playing I, out. The moment uh, that Rakakuni... There's a lot of real emotion in that scene, man. Like, yeah. that's all I'm saying. But also the moment that Rakakuni goes to kill her. Like, I forgot about that. He gets her to pick up the, mach- the, she the butcher kn- knife. He says she knows too much and he starts so directing funny. the guy towards her. <laughs> I forgot about that. I watched that movie. All yeah. time moment. I would um, also accept the 2001 um, humans, <laughs> hot dog humans. I think that's that, a good that, moment. That's also very, very high on the list. Brilliant. Just a brilliant moment. Anyway, uh, here's my last one. There is a all timer in terms of lines from Jabu Tapaki. <laughs> she says, you're still hung up on the fact that I like girls in this universe. The yeah. universe is so much bigger than you imagine. I have thought of this line multiple times having conversations with conservative Christians about this issue recently. And it's just like, Ooh. I hear it in the back of my head where I'm just like, this is what we're still hung up on. Okay, cool. <laughs> I actually think at. it's also, and, and story-wise, it's just very clever because it, it points out how the mom, true Evelyn, truly is hung up on very superficial things. Like, because yeah. that's in the middle of when she's saying, "Like, oh, this is what's wrong with my daughter. You're making her get tattoos and and be a lesbian, all this stuff." And I think that, like, what's very smart. I, I would even say again, like, 
smart generationally is that like in that one moment joy's response jobu tabaki's response is kind of the audiences where we're almost like okay wait 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 wait. everything else aside that's your issue that's what you're getting hung up on like for real and i think it's very smart screenwriting once again i think it's brilliant 100 love it love it uh okay well we're gonna take a short break and then come back to finish the podcast and maybe talk a little bit more about the spirituality Hey guys, uh, so to finish the podcast, generally we like to have a little conversation um, just about the the spirituality of the film. Not necessarily, actually explicitly not anything religious, but just trying to get into maybe what this movie is saying about on, on a bigger level, on a deeper level for our lives. And honestly, this movie is is maybe the biggest layup of all time in terms of like what there is to talk about. It's almost hard to center on one Nothing thing. to mine here, John. Yeah, nothing really here, honestly. What I want to focus on is hot dog fingers. Mike. Just a classic We're... layout of the gospel. Oh, <laughs> a lot of, you know, historically, many people have struggled with the idea. No, what I want to talk about is, uh, you know, you know. actually, I, I had this as a quote earlier that I never ended up using, but um, they talked about, the Daniels talked about that the the everything bagel started for them as a joke. And then they were like, but it ended up becoming very, very useful because it, it let us talk about nihilism without really having to get into all the weeds on nihilism, <laughs> which I thought is is true, right? It, it yeah. ends up being very useful shorthand. Having said that, this movie is actually pretty explicitly about nihilism. And, and yeah. I would even go further and say the whole crux of the movie is about, you know, in, in, in contemporary society having to to deal with that response and having to deal with that almost that temptation for lack of a better word of wanting to just say apparently nothing matters i love the way you already referenced this but i love the way that they dive in on that where they're like every new discovery just makes us smaller yeah and the temptation in that face is to say this is all stupid and nothing matters so therefore I don't, I'm not even going to attempt to try it life. Right. Um, which I, I do want to point out if, you know, if you want to get all technical with it, we are kind of straw manning nihilism as well. It's a little bit, it get it's not quite that simple, but having said that I am interested in your thoughts on how this movie is dealing with the idea, what its responses to this, to this idea are. And then maybe also contrasting you and I have actually already taken a bite out of, uh, especially the Coens, we've gotten in on them once or twice on this specific t- topic. Uh, but this does provide a pretty fascinating contrast. So um, just setting all of that up, I'll jump in wherever. But Mike, what are your what do, do you have any thoughts on that, on how this movie deals with that? Yeah, I mean, it, it deals with it in a really, I think, interesting way, because I, I think it does a good job of giving a nod to where a lot of the philosophy that it's wrestling with actually provides a positive, right? So if the the central premise of which it's engaging is that if nothing matters, then all the pain and guilt you feel make for making nothing of your life goes away, sucked into a bagel. If that's like what it's wrestling with, then I actually think it does a good job of, of using that to like 
explore again talking about uh, you still are hung up on that i like girls like it does it does explore there's a positive side of this which is that we should in the vastness of our universe be drawn into a moment where we realize the absurdity of some of the frivolous things through which we lose peace over or cause misery over or create tribal identity around or or just like used to exclude and to like make suffering in our world right and it, yeah. there is a value to this philosophy which is like that is dumb like <laughs> understand <laughs> your place in the cosmos and you'll realize that this is an absurd thing to be using the limited time you have to be doing right um yeah. to essentially making people feel crappy over things that just do not matter in the grand scheme of the universe so i want to make sure i shout that out because i do think there is like a value there's like a silver lining if you will some of the stuff i think the most interesting way that it deals with the more negative side of it which i think you pretty well laid out is actually like this really i got really hung up on this on this most recent rewatch i thought it was really fascinating there's a great quote from alpha wayman early in the movie when he's talking to evelyn he says evelyn i know you with every passing moment, you fear that you might have missed your chance to make something of your life. I'm here to tell mm. you that every rejection, every disappointment has led you here to this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. And why I got hung up on this line is that this actually is the movie's response to Jabu's like statement. This is the point yeah. of the movie, just not in the way that Alpha Raymond intends it. Like Alpha Raymond intends it to be a matter of destiny, that you were like the chosen one. You are the one who's going to restore order to the forest. Like if you do not have this universe changing um, purpose or meaning that is inherent to your existence that you were born to do, then you have no purpose at all, that everything is meaningless and that you should just accept the banality and the meaninglessness of life and fall into a black hole and just get sucked into oblivion. Right. That is kind of how mm. Alpha Raymond is framing that line. But if you actually like sit with the the sentence, you can also read it from the perspective that the other universes uh, from the movie uh, theater side of it, that Wayman, where he's talking about like doing laundry and taxes and finding meaning in just the experience of the moment of finding meaning in just the willingness to be present for every single moment of our lives. And then when he's talking about like, hey, the whole purpose of this life is to recognize that this moment is all you have, that this moment is filled with infinite meaning because it is the only one that will exist that you will be able to experience. So don't miss it. Yeah. Don't let anything distract you from it. Experience it as much as possible. Then I do think that's what this film is saying is the response. That is how we should approach our lives in the perspective of the authors of this movie. And I think that's really profound, right? Um, yeah. just the way that they kind of flip his intention on its head to kind of give a thesis statement to what we're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I totally makes sense. And, and it's, it, uh, you know, obviously it echoes a lot of my own thoughts that I think in a sneaky way, the movie is about presence. Right. Yeah. And I, I say sneaky because it's of all the themes, it's actually the one that it, it doesn't call out very specifically by name. Um, but, but it's there, and I think it's even there. I think you're totally right with, with that reading of Wayman's line. I think you're also right that it's not how the character means it, but it is how the film means it, and the film arrives at the same place. I think it's most clear in the way that um, when Evelyn and her daughter are talking, they have that great, you know, the emotional climax of the movie when they're in the parking lot, and and I, I think the way that, that they explain it, where the mom is basically like, it doesn't make sense that I want to be here. Like, like I could, if I think about it, there's any number of reasons, 
for me to to say screw it to this relationship essentially is what she's saying but you can extrapolate to, to life right because that's the struggle she's been going through is like none of this means anything so why am i trying and and you can take that on the small scale of their relationship where it's like there's all these things that are in the way of our relationship on the big scale of life of like why am i even bothering ultimately we're on a rock hurtling through space and in both cases they arrive at the same conclusion which is a version of why does that question matter and what i find fascinating especially like you and i have both grown up in the church have certainly interacted with a lot of more conservative thinking along these lines i distinctly remember how a lot of people in fact there's one line i want to call out which is that evelyn says we it's it's almost the last line of like that main part of the movie we can do whatever we want nothing matters right yeah that sentiment is portrayed as literally coming from the devil depending on who you talk to like i i i was grown up to teach or, or at least a, a lot of people in my life taught me that it's like this is what the horrible atheist will tell you is is you know the world that's like nothing means anything and therefore and they almost view it as like an epicurean thing of like you know so therefore do whatever you want live like live this big awful horrendous lives or whatever which i think is just a really weird direction to take it i don't think that's the sentiment at all i think that that idea is is again like you said getting the idea of presence yeah of like you know what don't like let, don't get hung up on why this relationship matters just live in the relationship don't give up don't get hung up on what you know does my life mean something because I, i'm a superhero or because i'm going to do x y you know all of these things that are these external meaning creators like that all ultimately is a distraction from living in the present yeah from actually engaging with your life and yeah. actually engaging with the relationships that matter to you um which is as nice a summation of what i find meaningful in spirituality as, as anything else um but again i'm fascinated that that it is viewed he as heatedly negative by, by a yeah. lot of people and, and maybe you know in the spirit of what we're talking about it may not be worth getting hung up on that um but for what it's worth for, for in my own life like it was just so funny to me that that was always presented as the epitome of evil thought yeah and eventually i came around to like you know there's actually something really beautiful in that idea and and something that i respond to a lot yeah and it, i mean without getting into the weeds it's also deeply ironic because the bible presents that as truth in ecclesiastes and and wisdom literature and right anyway these ideas are very deeply entrenched in the hebrew worldview but we'll we'll save that for another thing um but i do think what what's so fascinating to me about even that is like the thing that they fear right by fearing this sentiment what they fear is this this is many things, I guess I should state. Uh, some are more dark than others and are more tied to their personal desire for control or whatever. But I would say existentially the fear is, like, if I give into this worldview, eventually I'm going to come to realize that the, that meaninglessness, right? And like you're saying, that will then lead me to despair, and from that despair will come all sorts of debauchery. What I find deeply interesting and, and ultimately insidious is I've actually found the opposite worldview to be the true seeds of people falling into that kind of despair. And what I mean by that is you get into the space where it's my life will be meaningful if I do this big enough thing. If I achieve yeah. this, if I can basically like leave an eternal legacy 
by building something that will like withstand the sands of time. And what a movie like this and what a philosophy like nihilism and, and many other kind of philosophies is going to remind you that if you zoom out far enough, because even in that thinking, you're still thinking in terms of like centuries or decades, like even the, even if you made a country, it won't last yeah. and it will eventually yeah. disappear. Even Alexander, we have no like primary sources about, right? And eventually yeah. that too will fade. And there's this thing where it's like actually embedded within this like understanding of destiny in terms of the grandness of it are the actual seeds of despair. Because if you ever live in reality or think about reality for even a moment with any depth, you're going to realize that there is no such thing. And in fact, that too will fade, right? That too yeah. will become vapor. And thus, if you're trying to put your meaning in the achievement of that, oh my God, you are screwed. So it's like the thing that they fear will happen is actually deeply embedded within their worldview. And they just haven't thought long enough to like really wrestle with that. And ultimately, the healthy response to that is to recognize that as you go out and see that the farther you zoom out and the bigger view that you take, the more meaningless things become. Well, the answer is actually then to zoom in, right? It's to actually, instead of looking at an infinite timeline, like you're saying, look to the beauty of this present moment, to the mm. fading nature of every moment, to the singular nature of every moment, to the the, the reality that if I cannot change the cosmos by doing something big enough, what I can do is experience the cosmos by getting small enough to live within myself and in this moment because it's all I've got, right? Yeah. And I think that's it's just about It's about it. ego death, right? Yeah. It's about it's about that accepting of I cannot – because there is that yearning of I want to change everything. I want to exert all the control I can. But like you're saying, it's, it's that recognition of I can't do that. Yeah. So like – And allowing that – to bridge yeah. it, allowing that ego death to lead you to presence, because that's all you've got. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Mike, it's good to be back in the saddle again, right? Ooh, I miss school and you on movies, John. You have terrible okay, takes. That, that's clearly the takeaway I think people have from this. More of um, a buffoon than ever before. Uh, we do have a final question for each other to end the episode. Before that, we want to let you know, next episode, we're going to be covering, covering Avatar 2. The water. Dang it, uh, we both had it. Yes! <laughs> We did the same bit. We did the same bit. I mean, in a few days, it's going to take over all of pop culture. So who knows? The world will be rewritten as we know it. Uh, but no, next episode, we're going to be doing Moneyball, the 2011 uh, sports drama. That's what Wikipedia says, sports drama. Is that I, accurate? I'll take it. Yeah, sure. Okay, fair enough. Whatever. Um tremendous movie came out a decade ago world uh but yeah moneyball um final question i'm just gonna jump in there because i don't love mine but it, it's okay we'll just get out of the way uh mike let me say that you get jumped into the hot dog hand universe Woo! and you can't leave oh yeah how long does it take you to adjust slash how do you adjust because my answer was, I don't think I do. I think I have, like, in that universe, experimental surgery to, like, to just do away with the hot dog heads. And they're all, like, horrified. And I'm just like, I don't care. Like, if I, j just to be, like, emotionally salient, I'm this is a requirement. 
what 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 what's your existence here? How how does this work out for you? Man, I love that you had a plan. I was just gonna say I just die. I just kill myself. <laughs> just like it's so, a little bit darker. I'm gonna it's be honest. So uh, disconcerting. I would just be like, nope. <laughs> just nope. I can't do anything. You're not going to learn to do things with your feet or anything. You're just out. You're yeah. Just, see, I mean, both of us, I guess, in a sense, say we couldn't make the transition. It's a double... which is not in which is not in the spirit of the movie. No. The movie would say, "Oh, well, we can adjust to anything." Like well, life there, is crazy. You know? There's a mic out there who has done who has adjusted, but it ain't me. Um, that's my takeaway. Yeah, I'm like I'm both upset at the visual of the hot dog fingers, and I don't like people touching me with their feet. So it's like. There's just so many. It's nails. really, it's a double whammy. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. Mm-mm. It's tough. Nope. And everything is feet like everywhere. Like, yeah. they, cause they're playing the piano there. It's, it's oh. you know, replaces Ugh. all the things. Uh, nope. It's tough. Pass. It's tough. Pass. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Here's mine. Uh, it's kind of in the same vein. <laughs> so you can't say hot dog fingers. What's yeah. your least favorite other John? Like, what is he up to? Mm. <laughs> That's all I wrote. Mm. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal that you've taken away the possibility of saying the hot dog. First. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just original. like that. Cause that is just so right there. I'm struggling to think of the other ones now because that one kind of commands the imagination oh. in a specific way. Can I answer yours I for you? Say, I got your answer. Well, I, I have a thought. Okay. I think, pin, I think pinata universe is pretty tough. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's just it's a talk about a short sad existence right yeah that's a tough it's not a lot going on there that's a tough thing what what, what was what was gonna be your i was just gonna say the universe without james cameron in it if all universes exist (laughs) there is a universe without james and uh i I would actually you know the philosophy and and the the metaphysics on this is all pretty experimental i would argue that there is no universe without james cameron that i think yeah but what if he doesn't make avatar there you go the universe where james cameron never makes avatar i well in that universe mike i'm assuming he just jumps straight to avatar 2 which (laughs) and everyone is confused but it's such a good movie that they're in but you're still in yeah you're still like i'm in everyone's like why like he really feels like he left off like a lot of preamble to this movie but we're just we're all in i don't know man next week or next whatever we record next in this movie bombs it's gonna be so tough all the bits are gonna be horrendous <laughs> one of be... us one of us is gonna be very upset during the next recording <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited for that world stay That's the world tuned for next in. week uh Come back, yeah. Listen to the next episode, if only to hear the resolution to the great debate. Really, I mean, we can genuinely say the podcast will never be the same. Yeah, because <laughs> after next episode, we will know forevermore. Is he truly beyond the reckoning of any m- mere mortal, or is he? Does he bleed like the rest of us? We will find out. Yeah. Um. Wow. Thank you all for listening. We set the stakes really high. <laughs> Uh, as always, I'm Jonathan Devine, joined by Mike Overstreet, and we will uh, see you on the next episode. Meaningless. Meaningless. What? This podcast that, that's it. is also meaningless. See you guys next time.